Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's still glowing red from the Manchester <laughs> Derby, not just from the cold weather. Yeah. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, glowing red, not seeing blue, I guess. I'll take that. I'll take that. So we won't be reviewing the Manchester Derby um, on this here show. That's going to be for you and Ryan on the weekend review. Yes. My question for you on that, since Ryan wrote about Man City, has a little bit of Man City loyalty, I feel like, how much is he going to try to downplay that result, do you think? Oh, I mean, he'll try and pretend it didn't happen. Okay. You yeah. think he will? You think he'll, he'll just be like, ah, oh, it wasn't a big deal, it didn't really happen, whatever. It's all part of Pep's master plan. I can't tell if it will be that if or if he can drop be... an Oasis reference in there as well, <laughs> he'll be very happy. I like that. All right. We'll see if that's it or if it's the opposite of like, nope, things are crumbling, it's all over, Guardiola's got to yeah, go. Yeah, maybe Ryan will fall apart. We'll find out. We'll find out when, when I talk to him later on. But for now, you and I are going to be talking listener questions, I do believe. Yes, we are. We have so many listener questions coming mm-hmm. in. And we have a lot of good ones coming in. So that's why we're doing another listener question special. Should we get straight to it? Let's get straight to it. First one comes from mm-hmm. Matt Cuss. Matt Cuss asks, or he says, mm-hmm. I always make that mistake, don't I? Yeah. In the, US, in the US, we often talk about German-Americans. True. I agree so far. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other famous country-country relationships for other footballing nations? Right. So I accidentally saw, like, got a quick mm-hmm. glimpse of your notes. You did. I didn't read them. I just saw that there were a lot of names in there. We usually have a shared document with the questions in it, and then we both try to like copy and paste those questions to another document where we can then work on them. I kind of forgot to do that because I started working <laughs> on this through one bloodshot eye very early this morning. Uh, so yes, you got them briefly. Um, and I, I, think, I didn't see what was in there, though. I just saw there were a lot of names. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are because I do think that – I don't know if this quite goes with Matt's question, but I think anytime you have a former empire that has yeah. a lot – or had a lot of different territories, mm-hmm. you're going to see that connection. France would be a big one, that you've got a ton of connections between France and Cameroon, between France and Senegal, between France and Mali. Yeah. That would be a big one. Portugal, the same. You've obviously got the Brazil connections with like Pepe and Deco, both being born in Brazil but playing for Portugal. Mm-hmm. But then the same goes for Angola, uh, Guinea-Bissau, and Mozambique. Yep. All true. Yep. All true. So the weird – it's worth explaining the German-American connection mm-hmm. is mostly American servicemen right. being stationed in Germany uh, like post-World War II and like mm-hmm. way, way beyond, right? So yep. a lot of, that's why there's a lot of German-American kids. So yep. that's why we get guys like Fabian Johnson, Jermaine Jones and so on and so mm-hmm. on. Um, other interesting relationships actually still involve Germany. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of Turkish German yeah, footballers that's a good one. because of, of the what I, how I understand it, it's called the Gastarbeiter mm. program, the guest worker program, where after the Second World War, Germany didn't have enough men mm-hmm. to do the labor, so they allowed people from other countries to come in, and you get a huge influx of Turkish immigrants. Right. Then there's a then there's a Turkish German community. That's where you get players like Mesut Özil, Ilkay Gundogan, Mehmet Scholl, mm-hmm. Emre Can. But then you get German Turkish footballers right. who are born in Germany to Turkish parents but go back and play for Turkey like Hamid Altantop or Nuri Shaheen so that connection goes both ways well done well done sir I forgot about that one another big one that I think is just historical immigration is Argentina Italy that's that was one that I was pretty fascinated by Um, Italian is the second largest ethnic origin uh, in modern Argentina Uh, apparently 30 million people in Argentina claim to have or can be like directly proven to have some connection to Italian lineage, yeah. there are 40 million people in Argentina. So three out of four people. Yep. Um, and so that, that's, I'm trying to think of uh, names of footballers that are obviously Name Italian. one. 
Um, like, like Esteban Cambiaso? That would be one. Isn't Javier that Spanish, Zanetti? Isn't that a Spanish name, though? Uh, Zanetti's definitely an Italian uh, name. Also, Lionel Messi yeah. is, is another one. But, I mean, it's a ton. Batistuta is in there. I, I have the list. Where to go? Um, yeah, Messi, Cambiaso, Alfredo De Stefano, Batistuta, Shalotto, Guillermo Bello Shalotto. Like, yes. You think about it for a minute. It's like, oh, yeah, of course. But the interesting thing, uh, two interesting things. One, at uh, one point last season, I believe every Serie A club had at least one Argentine player in their ranks because that is a very direct sort of route for Argentinian players to go. Yep. But then you also have... Zanetti's still one of them, right? <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll never <laughs> retire. But then you also have players like uh, Mario Camaronese, Christian Ledesma, Danny uh, Osvaldo, born in Argentina, play for Italy. Yeah. So you still have that connection as well, where you have some players who could play for Argentina or could play for Italy and make that choice. One of those would be Paulo Dybala, who had the choice between Italy, Poland, strangely enough, hmm. and Argentina, chose Argentina. But you do have a lot of uh, connections there that persist, even though I think a lot of that immigration was between 1900 and 1940, and maybe a little bit in 1946. So you, you mentioned <laughs> Poland. Mm-hmm. Um, Polish-German is another one. Yeah. He famously had Miroslav Klose mm. and Lukas Podolski. I quickly uh, refreshed my memory um, on both their cases, both born in Poland. Yeah. Their families, um, I don't want to say emigrated, they essentially returned to Germany because they were ethnic Germans. There was mm-hmm. a policy called um, Aussiedler, I probably pronounced that incorrectly, where Germany said if you're an ethnic German but you're living elsewhere and you can prove it, you have a right to return. Yeah. So that's what the Podolski family and the Klose family They've done that a couple did. times in history. <laughs> Germany has. I'm not getting into <laughs> what Germany have done because it's a long list. It really is. It really is. Um, Speaking sort of war, uh, I would say Switzerland, Kosovo, Albania. That's another one because yes. you have so many uh, like Swiss-born or like uh, refugees who uh, grew up in Switzerland or uh, who play for Switzerland now. Are we talking Kosovan uh, refugees who ended up in Switzerland? Yeah, basically. Yeah. So you've got uh, Granit Xhaka. You've mm-hmm. got Jordan Shakiri. Uh, Gashi would be another one. There, there's many more in there that have some connection to Albania, to Kosovo, but play for Switzerland because Kosovo didn't have a national team and Albania uh, doesn't have a very good national team. And I think also <laughs> like, it took them a while to kind of get off the ground as well. So I'm sure we're missing a oh, bunch. Yeah. You, you mentioned the um, the France and former mm-hmm. French colonies connection, right? We could list a load of players. If I you mean, don't mind, I'll just... I'll I just mean, Belgium uh, is the same as well. But yes, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I thought you were going to list a, a bunch of former empires. Just yeah. to get a couple out there. Mm. Um, for Senegal, uh, Kalidou Koulibaly was mm-hmm. born in France. For Algeria, Riyad Mahrez, born in France. Mm-hmm. Same for Freddy Canute, played for Mali. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, went to play for Gabon. And Roman Saïs, uh, famous Wolves defender, um, yeah, of course. was born in France famous, famous. and plays for Morocco. Mm-hmm. There are countless examples. Yeah, of, of and, then, and then if it's not just directly born in, you've got parents of, so yeah. Zinedine Zidane, obviously born in Marseille, I believe it was, yep. but could have played for Algeria. Yep. Uh, that's the case for many, many people. Kylian Mbappe's father is Cameroonian. He, or I think that's where his uh, lineage is. Usman Dembele has a Senegalese mother and a Malian father, So, but he was born in France, so you still have those uh, yep. sort of connections as well. And I'm sure we're missing some big ones. Oh, I want to say Croatia, Australia. There's is definitely a catch. Yeah, there is. That's another good right? one. Uh, like Vidic and not Vidic, sorry. Um, who's the, the striker? Oh, Marco, that's gonna know my... for Leeds United. Oh no. That's gonna really annoy me now. Viduka. Thank you, Mark Viduka. Mark, Mark Viduka. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So and I'm sure we're missing plenty. Um, definitely tweet them at us if yep. there's some famous country country connections that we haven't named here, because I quite like having my memory jogged. One that I really didn't know enough to comment on, but I'm asking you, England, Ireland? How much have we got there in terms of change of player i mean there's a lot of people with both nationalities mm-hmm. right like like declan rice yeah. yeah so that's just more so that they have both nationalities yeah. and choose one or the other yeah okay yeah. that makes sense uh-huh. yeah 
So uh, I guess you've got connections there, but it's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you ready for the next question? I am indeed, and I shall ask it. Matthew Graham, uh, how has – see, I avoided saying asks or says. Mm-hmm. How has Lampard used Pulisic for Chelsea tactically different from how Ber- Berhalter has tried to use Pulisic? If Berhalter were to play Pulisic the way he's been playing for Chelsea, would that be more like a tweak to the quote-unquote system, or would it require a significant overhaul? So I think this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting the way that Matthew phrased the question, um, how Berhalter has tried to use Pulisic, suggesting that he has failed in some way, right? <laughs> um, so if you, look, if you watch Chelsea this season, they play either a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. Those are the two the predominant formations that Frank Lampard has used. Pulisic is almost always on the left side of the three, right? right. But he's not asked to really like go and be on the touchline and just provide width and be a winger and get crosses in. He is tasked with um, coming infield quite a little bit mm-hmm. and then dribbling um, like internally, diagonally, right? So he'll receive the ball. Um, you, you must call it the left half space, mm-hmm. right? And then he would go diagonally at the box and cause mayhem. Man, this um, is an answer for everyone. <laughs> the left half space and diagonally into the box. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? He's not on the touchline. Yeah, he's like quite interior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. receives totally. the ball on the left side, but mm-hmm. not too far wide. Then just drives at a defence, like an eel wriggling his way through. Well said. Um, or if Chelsea have the ball on the right hand side, Pulisic will just be in the box, mm-hmm. right? He's like Tammy Abraham's there, and then Pulisic is in and around him. That's why he's got a lot of his goals. A lot mm-hmm. of them are weird, like finishes from inside the six yard box. Would you? I agree with that. Would you agree with this? Because I'm not sure I feel entirely confident. I'm wondering what you would say. I don't think of him, though, even with that being the case, as like that front runner where he's like on that last defender. You know sometimes when you have like the ball out on the right and you have that attacker who like darts in at the last second and gets behind the last defender and taps in? Yeah. I think of him occasionally doing that. But he's not a late arriving runner either. He seems to be one who kind of adjusts his run to be at the penalty spot. Yeah. That so seems to be where like, he's going. He's already in the box, but yes. he's zipping around, like mm-hmm. looking for where the ball might fall. And yeah. if you watch, he'll get a lot of goals that way, yeah. right? Um, so that's the way he plays for, for Chelsea. Um, for the US, here's the interesting part. It's a different system, right? But his position is kind of similar in that it's mostly the left-sided attacking central midfielder, right? Yeah. That number 10 that uh, Berhalter is, is like a left-sided attacking number 10. Um, so again, he's not all the way on the wing and he's not all the way in the middle. Um, he's in that half-spaced uh, channel. But the role is different, right? Mm-hmm. The role isn't so much like be in the box. The role is to uh, be involved in the build-up. Yeah. So you'll see like when... Um, when our left centre-back, say John Brooks, has the ball for the US, Pulisic will come and show, like, behind the halfway line, he'll come mm-hmm. deep and show for the ball, right? Either to receive it or for the ball to go over him to, like, uh, to the striker or to the left winger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the main difference is that even though he's occupying roughly the same channel, um, it's just how far forward he is for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also just a function of how Chelsea play, right? Chelsea are much more open, much more end-to-end, like almost naive but exciting. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more chances for Pulisic to just be running at open defences. Right. Whereas with the US, at least until the Canada game, which Pulisic wasn't involved in, it's much more of a slow build-up. So he's coming back deeper to get touches and influence the play. So yeah. I think that's the difference. I would say, yeah. And I would say with that, with Chelsea, it's a lot. It's about finding space a lot on a lot of like occasions, which usually means trying to find space in between the lines, less so dropping all the way back to yeah. then find space there and facilitate the build-up play. Yeah. I agree with you on that. The other thing would be, for some reason, even though I tend to be the attacker, you tend to be the defender, I always end up focusing on the defensive aspect of things. <laughs> and it is the case that with the U.S. in that shape, we tend to see him as like one of almost a front two defensively, oh, yeah, sort of shielding, whereas if anyone's going to do that for Chelsea, it's Mason Mount, who's yeah. usually that number 10. Pulisic dropping in a little bit more, unless they're pressing and staying higher, in which case he does that. But it's, it's definitely different defensively, I would say, between what Chelsea are doing and what the United States is doing. I would agree. Um, The other thing is, who's Mm -hmm. outside of him, Yep. right? Because a lot of the time, when he comes interior for Chelsea, 
he has a left back. Sometimes it's Aspilicueta, sometimes it's Emerson. Mm-hmm. Um, in January, it's probably going to be someone else. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're talking about getting a new fullback. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a, a fullback providing the width that he's not providing because he's allowed to go get in the box. Someone else will do the width for you. Again, for the US national team, He's not tasked with providing the width, right? If he's the left attacking centre mid, he has a left winger outside of him. It could be Paul Ariola, mm. has been quite a few times. Uh, it might be Jordan Morris um, in the future. So he's got someone else providing the width for him. It just comes from a different starting point. Mm-hmm. So they're weirdly like similar but different. And with that in mind, that's where I would say it's not quite a tweak to the system. It's not quite an overhaul to the second part of Matt's question about like what would it be if Berhalter tried. It's probably somewhere in between, but I would say it's like a series of tweaks because it's essentially then if you want to do that, you need a more attack left back, which the United States obviously is not utilizing. Yeah, so Tim Ream need, at the moment, right? Yeah, so you would need maybe to like... Serginho Dest. Have Serginho Dest there, yeah. and maybe you have a more stay-at-home right back, or maybe you have two attacking back. But like that would be one tweak that you'd have to do is have somebody more attacking. Whether or not you want to say having an attacking left back is more of a, like more of an overall game plan change than just yeah. a tweak, it's up to you. But that's a big one that would have to happen, I think, for sure. And then it would have to be the United States being a bit more aggressive in their pressing and being a bit more aggressive in committing numbers forward, which, again, I think is somewhere between a tweak and an overhaul. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing to take away from this is Pulisic's position maybe doesn't change that much, but it's, it's essentially the style of play yeah. and the, the pace of play. Yeah. Right? And again, the Canada game accepted where the U.S. kind of counterattacked quite productively. It's been a much slower build-up with the U.S. and much faster with Chelsea. It's why Chelsea's fun to watch uh, this season. Yep. So it's not about the position Pulisic's playing. It's about the overall team concept. You will get no arguments from me, my friend. You ready for the next question? I believe I am. Okay. With that in mind. Greyhair Gaming asks, how would you change penalties to make it even to make it more even odds for the goalkeeper? Can I pause for a moment while you yeah. ask this question to say, I feel like Greyhair Gaming wrote that question, knew exactly what at least I was going to say, and then added this part. We've had the rule change where mm. keepers can't come off their line. So let's say that part can't be changed. Because that would be the obvious answer, right? Let the keeper come off his line mm-hmm. early, cl- like narrow the angle. Then it would be a lot harder. And, it, and then my other answer would have been like, if you want to make it easier for the goalkeeper, if they can come off their line, NASL-style shootouts, where you've got to <laughs> dribble in from 35 yards out, it sort of defeats the purpose if you have the player dribbling in from 35 yards out, but the goalkeeper still has to just stay rooted yeah. on the line. That doesn't quite work. So let's, let's work within the, con- mm-hmm. within the confines that Greyhair Gaming has yep. set up for us. Um, assuming the keeper can't leave his line early until the ball is kicked, Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we do to even the odds a little bit for goalkeepers? So I experimented with like like gimmicks. So like you make them take it with their weaker foot, or <laughs> you, like the goalkeeper gets to choose the opposition player to take the penalty. In the end, I think the simplest one, if you wanted to do this, would be to move the spot back probably three yards. Okay, so it's twelve yards right now. Mm-hmm. You would move it back to fifteen yards. Yes, because yeah. I feel like eighteen is is too much. Would be top of the area. Right? Yeah, and I think with that, like you, if you look at a normal penalty, if it's taken well, has a decent amount of power behind it, not like crush, but a decent amount of power you'll still see those moments when the goalkeeper almost gets a hand to it but just can't quite so or even three yards would be enough space yes. for them to get to yeah it. i think yeah. it would it would be the difference between like almost getting your fingertips to it and getting like the heart of your palm to the ball which I makes like a big it. difference i actually think that's the correct answer but um i'm obligated to also try my own yeah um i think about... that's one of the ones that you saw from when i like wrote the answers on the the template we both shared and so you're I... like well now i have to get a yeah. different one so the one i went with is um no run up one step penalties. I love one step penalties. Yep, I really one do. Step. Mm-hmm. So then you can't do the stutter step that Marcus Rashford has been doing mm-hmm. and sending the keeper the wrong way. You can't do whatever it is that Joseph Martinez does. Yep. Um, you have to just take one step and hit it, and that's it. And I think I think it's still very scorable, but there's just uh, less uh, less variables that the, uh, the the attacker can put into it. I like the idea of like you have to take it as though you're a field goal kicker, where you have like fewer variables. <laughs> like, excuse like me. Three Stannis. three steps back, two slides over, and that's all you get. <laughs> that's it.
that's where you're going from. One other possible one mm-hmm. is the, the thing I always advocate for, which is the player that gets fouled is the one that has to take it. If okay. it's Shaquille O'Neal that gets fouled in the box, yeah. Shaquille O'Neal has to take it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always, I, I never quite go along with you on that one, I but I like, I like it more. I I'm like never, it more I'm these days. I'm not going to ever stop suggesting it. I get one for you. That it would I make s- the, uh, the scoring, um, like the list of top scorers, it yeah. would make it more realistic. Okay. Yeah. That's definitely true. Mm-hmm. I have and one sorry, that I think you're going to dig. It would improve the odds for the goalkeeper because then you're not always facing the best penalty yeah. taker on the opposition team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Unless you're going against a player who's just had their leg broken in a challenge. Well, that, yeah, like, that's, that's, up. People yeah. always bring that up as the objection, but that's obviously an exception, right? Because that would be true in the NBA. Like You can't take the free throw if someone broke your arm. I mean, not with that attitude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's one I think you'll like, Daryl. What about this wrinkle? What if you had it as goalkeeper has to stay rooted on the line, but as soon as the official blows the whistle, you have uh, like a, a player on the goal, goalkeeper's team at the corner of where the end line meets the 18-yard box, so yeah. they start there, and when the whistle blows, that person can go sprinting <laughs> at the dead ball. So if they can get in and block it, so basically if like you're going to do... sliding block at the last second. Yeah, because if you're going to do a ton of little stutter step run-ups, that gives that player the time to get there and close it down and slide the ball away, versus if you just smash as hard as you can, as fast as you can, that player might not get there. Yes, you're going to Gavel, 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 I approve this motion. You're going to have a ton of broken legs and a ton of horrible tackles that are going to lead to more penalties, and I am here for it. Just the excitement, Taylor. <laughs> exactly. The excitement. But the excitement. The other, the other option is a dizzy penalty. <laughs> if people haven't seen this, it's when you put your head on the ball, yep. then spin around 10 mm-hmm. times with your head touching the ball, then you get up and try to take the penalty kick. And honestly, even Lionel Messi would do well to actually make contact with the ball when yeah. you take the dizzy penalty. It's like, do well to like make contact, do really well to put the ball even on frame, and yep. then to put the ball in the goal with yep. the goalkeeper there is exceptional. <laughs> So that would be the ultimate leveler. I think Christian Polanco took one of these, and I think either skied it or missed the ball and then fell over. Yeah. Either have way. You, have you ever taken one? Uh, I think once, and I'm pretty sure I shot the ball wide, I, I think. I kind of scuffed the ball, and it just like very sadly dribbled towards goal, but, but it was never even crossing the line, even with no goalkeeper. Hey, you still made contact. <laughs> I will say this. My, like... My Achilles heel, my, my vulnerability is dizziness. I cannot handle being dizzy. I hate being dizzy. It's why if I have a hangover where I'm dizzy, I can't. I do not like that at all. Rolling down a hill, no thank you. Dizzy, dizzy penalties would be the end of me, for oh, sure. That's no. it. I retire. I hang it up. We've I, never done it together, right? Mm-hmm. Now I really want to do it. Oh, boy. <laughs> if you want to hear me complain a bunch, we can do it. <laughs> well, if dizzy penalties were happening um, in a country mm-hmm. where we did not have access to the content, yep. today's advertiser <laughs> could possibly help us. All right. I can't tell if that was smooth or awkward. It, but was, it was But we're here. Smooth enough. Today's <laughs> show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Mm-hmm. ExpressVPN allows you to mask your IP address and tell your computer you are in the country of your choosing. That's right. So you can spoof your location. You appear like you're in Taiwan, for example. You can purchase uh, your account for 11 Sports. Yep. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to get that. Uh, I have u- utilized it recently for BBC to watch Match of the Day, to watch other BBC programming. Same. You can spoof it that way. Yep. I'm tricking your country, Daryl. I'm fooling them. <laughs> I'm fooling them. It feels weird to talk about it publicly. Well, I fooled yours because I was in the UK How recently. Uh, I was home for my birthday and I wanted to watch um, a certain show on a network that isn't television mm-hmm. that's based on an 80s comic book. All right. Um, and I wanted to watch the most recent episode of, of that. Did you want to watch The Men? I did. I wanted to watch The Men. <laughs> okay. Who watches them? I do. <laughs> okay. Out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was able to uh, to. Convince my computer that I was in uh, the United States, nice so I could I could watch that show. I'm going to tell the FBI, but good <laughs> to know. Um, but that is but that is worth noting. It's like you're not violating anything. You're not like really too, truly breaking laws. You're not going to have the FBI knocking at your door because instead they're going to think 
you're in Thailand or China <laughs> or wherever. Um, yes, and ExpressVPN is also the fastest VPN that we've tried. Costs yes. less than is that many the other. Or is that your experience? Uh, both. Yeah, okay. <laughs> both. It's genuinely my experience. Yes, because we. I'm, I'm an experienced VPNer. By I, the way, yeah. I'm a decently experienced one, and there are definitely the moments when it was like I would forget I was connected to a VPN. I'm like, why is it suddenly so? Oh right, oh right. And yeah. I do not have that same issue with ExpressVPN. I've done actually. I've used uh, ExpressVPN to you know watch mm-hmm. some content, and then I've just left it on and forgotten it was on because things were just still happening so quickly. There yeah. we go. See? There we are. So if you would like to try out ExpressVPN, if you'd like to protect your online activity today and find out how to get three months free, go to expressvpn.com slash soccer. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash soccer for three months free with a one-year package. He spelled good. Visit expressvpn.com slash soccer to learn more. The link will, of course, be in the show notes where we always put it. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's show. Thank you very much to Daryl for putting that link in the show notes because Daryl is doing the show notes today. I haven't done it yet. And thank you very much to Josh uh, Nagy is what I'm going to go with. Maybe Najee, maybe Naj. I don't even know. Uh, but Josh asks, what would happen if instead of international breaks spread throughout the season, all international games happened in, say, November and December? Major tournaments would still happen in the summer, but all other games would happen in the big international break. Can I take a guess and say that you probably hate this idea? Uh, I'm somewhere between. Yeah, okay. Because mm-hmm. you're not normally a fan of big structural change to, to soccer, big hypothetical changes that we get presented with on this show. I think the problem is that my brain goes to the realities yeah, yeah. and the limitations first, yeah. and then rather than look at like yeah, the, big, skip, the big dreamy the picture. the excitement part first, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to get all into the excitement part. I think I don't like to get excited unless I know it's a reality. Oh, I see. Like, I want to know that, that that cookie is on my plate before <laughs> I get excited about eating a cookie. If it's a theoretical cookie that could be arriving at some point, oh, I'm less you, excited. Did you fail the, the wait for a second cookie? test as a kid. Oh, the marshmallow thing? Yeah. I, that never really got to me because I don't really like marshmallows. So I'd have been like, all right, I get two, whatever. Cool, I guess. That's, <laughs> that's your other thing of arguing with the premise of the question. Right? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And I refuse to answer that statement, sir. So to Josh's question, um, I think it would be really exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's practical, but I think it would be really exciting to have all the international soccer condensed into one big international window because the narrative would get to build, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the Say it was, um, you did a few rounds of European World Cup qualifying. Instead of like England having a World Cup qualifying game, like one in March in a friendly, then one in June, then one in September, then like it just happens so slowly, right? But if it all happens quickly, people would get invested in what's going on right. in this qualifying table mm-hmm. um, in a way that they, they don't because instead people get invested in what's going on in the Premier League mm-hmm. and then complain when the international break comes along. Right. Right? Um, so I think that would be the, the main thing is that people would have an initial complaint but would then be like in the soap opera storylines of whatever's mm-hmm. going on in international soccer for those two months. So that's the, to me, that's the big upside. All right. I think also then if you if you use like the the windows you've now vacated so let's say for 2020 you've got uh, one in March one in June one in August one in October one in November so now you just have Isn't the November September, one October November uh, it's August to September basically okay. it's August 31st to September 8th is how they're doing it very helpful FIFA um, but if you maybe didn't try to just fill those with more fixtures but if you instead maybe moved the start of like after the November December international break if you gave maybe those players a couple weeks off I think then I'd be more into it because I do foresee a ton of injuries happening in this uh, international two month window because of what there's so much football being played because there's so much travel that would have to happen and there's so much like yeah like you're having these really intense World Cup qualifiers as an example you'd be playing six World Cup qualifiers in two months yeah. basically so with that would come 
playing in like Honduras, for example, then flying to LA, then flying to the Azteca, then flying to New York to play Costa Rica. You're going to have a ton of travel. You're going to have a ton of jet lag. You're going to have players getting injured in tackles and not really being able to recover. So you'd almost have to have, in my mind, like a 30 player international roster that you could just kind of oh, fill, in, fill be, in and then it would help out a little that's bit. That's interesting. Yeah. Would mm-hmm. you have them have one big roster for the two months or would you let them just like, keep picking a roster for each game? I think you'd have one bigger roster for the entire two months. Okay, but I that's also fair. think that actually so then those not on the roster can book a vacation. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I also think that could also be problematic—not the roster aspect, but the condensed time frame. Because it didn't really occur to me until just now that, like, even barring like a very, very serious injury, if you have a player who who has I don't know severely sprained ankle, they're going to miss like three months, let's say. Yeah. But that's not all of World Cup qualifying. Yeah. yeah. Whereas with this one, if you have a player who's injured, they're missing yeah, if you're, everything. If you're Finland and Timo Pukki is uh, injured for November, December, Bye-bye. you're suddenly yep. you're, you're in quite a lot of trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, part of that makes it really appealing to me in a way. I way. guess so. Yeah. It would just be strange where like, for like the lack of a better way of putting it, like one player teams, they would be yeah. maybe less inclined than the larger nations. So I'm I'm kind of excited by this, mm-hmm. but the big downside is what if you're not an international player? Then you are off soccer mm-hmm. for a very long time. Be better. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we have the Nations League B, <laughs> where where there's the B squad gets to go in there. I also I also liked it. One of the reasons why I did like it, though, not in relation to anything you've just asked me, but moving swiftly on, is that you could still have a January camp because the January camp for the United States occurs outside of FIFA windows as it is. Yeah. So you could still do that. And I almost like the idea of you have November, December with the, your like, kind of like veteran U.S. national team. And then January would be like, OK, some guys obviously didn't work in there. We're going to bring in some new dudes who could potentially play that role. And it feels like a continuation of what just happened. Yeah. And so it's almost like, OK, not only like say those two months didn't really go well. You've got this January camp where you can kind of reset a little bit. So I quite like that because we'd be we'd be talking about the U.S. national team in November, yep. in December, in January. Our downloads would Ooh, go up, but, but then our downloads would fall off. Here's the downside, and not just our downloads, but people's interest in international soccer mm-hmm. would be almost flatlining from like January through, unless it's a summer tournament, mm-hmm. January through October. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think. It would, it would be weird. I mean, I understand like people do get all amped up for, say, the World Cup. People who don't pay attention to international soccer suddenly get into it for a month or two, and that's enjoyable. But I like, I at least like the constant drip drip of um, international stuff developing over the course of a year. Does Adam Bells like this idea more than me or less than me, do you think? Adam Bells would want um, November, December, and all the other dates filled as well. He wants double the international soccer. Because then Richie Ledesma would get more caps. There we go. <laughs> that is kind Chris of. Chris Gloucester might even get a cap. That is the ultimate dream, I think. So there you go. Uh, anything else for the, uh, for the November, December break? Uh, let, let's just do it. Okay, let's just do it. I, actually, we're joking. The World Cup in 2022 is going to be in November and December. So we're actually going to see a version of this. Mm-hmm. But the World Cup will happen in 2022. Hooray. Yeah. Which is totally what they, their bid said and totally how it all went to plan. Yep. I do not like that World Cup already. Uh, but I do like Mauricio Sadikoff, who asked us another question. Uh, how much do coaches and assistant coaches make? I'm fist pumping because I don't have to be the one to answer this first. Uh, do MLS coaches get paid significantly less than their European counterparts? Okay, so we do have some information, mostly from tabloids mm-hmm. and stuff, on what uh, high-profile coaches in right. Europe make. And I'll give you some of those numbers in a second. We have no, almost Mm-mm. no data on what MLS coaches make or assistant coaches. Um, And to me, that alone is evidence that they make significantly less than their European counterparts. Because Major League Soccer um, loves to trumpet big numbers when big numbers are out there Mm -hmm. because it makes them look big time. When numbers are lower, 
they keep they what, what's it um, terms were not disclosed is the type of uh, the type of phrase you get so they wouldn't let a small number be out there because it makes them look bad. Your Honor, may I add an addendum to what you've just said? I guess yes. Will you allow it? You have to allow it. I'll allow it. See, uh, l- lawyers now. It's all <laughs> in my life. Um, I would say I agree with everything. Is this how you and your wife talk now? It, Affirmative. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they say affirmative. Your I think Honor, that's just allow, the Terminator. Will you allow black pepper on this pasta? <laughs> Overruled. Um, <laughs> uh, but again, I don't think I use that one right either. I agree with everything you said. I would add to it, though. I think there are also uh, coaches who make a lot more than everybody else. And I mm-hmm. think, again, the league is hesitant. Within MLS, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Like, I think Bob Bradley, Tata Martino, they probably don't make as much as they – Tata Martino especially probably didn't make, doesn't make nearly as much. You, you found that number, oh, right? Oh, yeah. There was um, a quote from him in the New York Times mm-hmm. that um, he makes – when he signed his contract at Atlanta in, right. what, 2016, he was making, in his, in his words, considerably less than uh, what he made at Barcelona, which was $5.8 million mm-hmm. in U.S. terms. That's from a New York Times story. So now it depends on how you define considerably. But yeah. either way. I mean, like, half of that is still a lot of money, right? Yeah, true. And that's what I would say is, like, I think there are probably still coaches who do make a lot of money yeah. compared to everybody else. But We heard, then, what, Jason Kreiss was on a million a year yeah. at NYCFC. But I think, and that was, yeah, at NYCFC, what, Caleb Porter was on, or took a pay cut of 500000 something like that, to go yeah. coach in Portland. But, like, those are maybe the exceptions. I would say, for the most part, the league, I think, doesn't want the high salaries to get out either. Really? Because number one, yeah, because I think number one, that makes it look like, oh, all of these teams can now afford that. So now any coach should be demanding more money. And simultaneously, I think it shows the smaller clubs or smaller teams like, oh, wow, they're not paying that at all for their coach. So I think even <laughs> there, the one— There will even, be some embarrassingly low numbers in Major League Soccer from saying. the low-spending teams. Like the, yeah. the, the higher-spending teams, rather than being a like selling point of like, look, some teams are investing, it's more of a— Reminder that a lot of other teams are yep. not investing in that way. Like I do know, for example, Matias Almeida mm-hmm. um, at San Jose. Uh, I just read that the salary offer was very attractive. Okay, right? but mm-hmm. again, no numbers, no numbers attached. I do have numbers for some of the big time coaches, though. All right, All right. Pep Guardiola mm-hmm. at Manchester City, apparently twenty million pounds a year. A year. Um, Jose Mourinho at Spurs, which is kind of the reason for this this article. It's in the Daily Mail, so, you know, um, I'm going to assume some racism in there somewhere. <laughs> Jose Mourinho, uh, 15 million a year yeah. at Spurs. Uh, Diego Simeone, 13 million a year at Atletico Madrid. Rafa Benitez in China, mm-hmm. 11.5. Fabio Cannavaro in China, mm-hmm. 10 million. Um, Zidane at Real Madrid. 10 million. I think it's kind of still in chat. I think he may have been fired. Oh, really? <laughs> I think there's a chance. Or maybe since this article was published. <laughs> yeah. um, Zidane at Real Madrid, 10 million. Antonio Conte at Inter, mm-hmm. 9 million. Thomas Tuchel, um, is he at PSG still? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 8 million. Uh, Valverde at Barca, 8 million. Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, 7 million. First of all, I feel like the PSG thing, that is officially the category of ever, or like the nickname of every single coach who's managed PSG. It's like, is he still there? Is he still there? <laughs> is he still there? Some of those, some of those are surprising in that they make a lot more than I would have thought. But mm-hmm. then again, people like Zidane, I'm sure he didn't start at 10 million in his first year at Madrid. I'm guessing the return was pro- probably bought course, a yeah. significant it's heavily raise. negotiated. I'm guessing when Klopp signs a new contract, yeah. that number is going to go through the roof. Here's the interesting part: I did manage to find little bits here and there on what assistant managers and first team coaches mm-hmm. make in the Premier League. Um, the, the best example I found was Steve Clark, who went on to become a manager himself. When he was an assistant at Chelsea, I believe under Mourinho, he was making £300,000 British pounds per year. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good salary, but it's obviously not in the... Uh, so I would guess they would all make under a million, probably under half a million, because Steve Clark is one of the more high-profile, yeah. more respected and assistant also, coaches. And also Chelsea. And also Chelsea, yeah. who 
had money to, to throw around um, <laughs> at that point when Abramovich was all in. He may yeah. still be. He's just not present. Uh, so, yeah, I would guess that, like, assistant coaches at big teams, probably in the six-figure range, but not seven-figure range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so is this a bad thing then? Are we concerned about this being the reality that coaches around the world – because, like, some of, the t- some of the coaches you mentioned are – paid more than MLS or just they're getting paid a lot in general? Or, or how low we assume MLS coaches are being paid in relation to – some of their counterparts around the world. I mean, it, it kind of just makes sense, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's, there's, oh, does it make sense? Maybe they should be paid more because this is the stuff that is outside of the salary budget. You can pay your coaching staff whatever you want, right? right? Mm-hmm. It just depends who you are. I bet Atlanta United pay their assistant coaches very nicely. Mm-hmm. I'll bet DC United maybe don't pay them so nicely. <laughs> Colorado Rapids, the same. They get a fr- free uh, pupusa at every yeah, game. That's you, their salary. Yeah, you get a Metro card. Exactly. <laughs> a used Metro card. <laughs> yeah. It's mostly full, we're pretty sure. <laughs> So, um, anything else we can say on this? It's really hard without the data from Major League Soccer, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's that's basically mm-hmm. it. It's like unless you have concrete numbers, is a lot of speculation. There is no yep. like I look through the player salaries, like wondering if maybe some of the coaches are reported in there. They're not, so mm-hmm. it's tough to say for sure. But I think it's safe to say that yes, they get paid significantly less than their uh, European coaches. Oh, did, did we see some information on like ZipRecruiter and those kinds of websites? We that- did estimated what coaches or mm-hmm. first team coaches like assistant coaches mm-hmm. at like 40 50,000 a year that would make sense to me but I just, yes. we can't prove that that's true right? but then there's two things with that it kept writing about like the MLS and I don't mean any like pretentious MLS like <laughs> it's called MLS not the MLS way but more of a like the MLS coaches average and it was just like I feel like you're just filling in yes, what definitely. I searched yeah, yeah. and you're guessing because also they told me that there were four MLS head coaching vacancies within 100 miles of me and unless there's only DC United right, right? unless a bunch of expansion franchises have been announced <laughs> and I don't know about it and they're going about this very poorly and uh-huh. that's how they're recruiting their head coaches I'm guessing that some of that information was incorrect. Well, there's some news that Ben Olsen doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess this is the message. The message to Major League Soccer is, at least from me, mm-hmm. um, when you refuse to release information, I'm going to assume that it's because you're embarrassed at how low the number is. Yeah. Okay. Is that fair I'm to I'm with say? you on that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ready for one more question? Mm-hmm. Um, is it my turn to ask or yours? Uh, your turn, I believe. My turn to ask. Okay, Michael Bate. Michael Bate asks, what is one aspect of a major American sports league you would like the Premier League to try? Yeah, I, I thought this was like the way I usually I think I said this before, but I'll say it again. The way I usually answer a list of questions is I go through and read every single one. And then the ones that sort of like catch my attention, I will focus on and, and spend a bit of time more. And then I kind of go back and cycle through and cycle through this one. At first, I thought was going to be a harder one because I, I was like, OK, I'm going to have to sit down and really think about it. I sat down and in three seconds, I was like, oh, I want a penalty box. That's it. That's my answer. I want a <laughs> penalty got, box from hockey. I've got NHL sin bin. Is that basically the yeah, same, same thing? thing. Yeah. yeah, basically. And, it, and you could Am I using like the slang and you're using the official term. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, basically. I think you're using the Englishified way of talking about penalty boxes, I essentially. Yes. I think we have it in, I want to say rugby league. I think, that's, I think I've heard that as well, yeah. yes. And I like that. I, I think in the NHL, you've got like two-minute and five-minute, uh, like a two-minute minor, five-minute major, uh, and that's about it. I, I think you'd have to that's make... a fast college degree. I think you'd have... Right, and you're done. <laughs> I think you'd have to make it slightly longer, like, and I think maybe incorporate some indoor, that like you could get a blue card, which is mm-hmm. like a five-minute penalty. You're out for five minutes, but there's that doesn't carry over. Like Two blues don't equal a yellow or anything. Yeah. like that but then you'd have a yellow card same thing as a yellow card except now it's like a 10 minute and then a red card is a red card like I that's see. how I, I think that could be really interesting because it gives teams temporary advantages and truly punishes people for doing stupid things so i've already mentioned that i and would also like... man city would struggle because <laughs> they'd pick up a lot of yellow cards for those fouls off the ball and fouls up the field i mean now that rodri's doing it instead of fernandinho right? they're not getting it anymore uh, there you go um I've already mentioned mm-hmm. that I would like to see the uh, – similar to basketball, if you get fouled, take the free throw. If you get fouled, you take the penalty kick. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to revisit that. 
But well, you could go with baseball and a designated penalty taker. That like even if they're not on the field, they get to come in and oh, that's just <laughs> like they get to do that. But here's an even better one. What you got? Um, so kickoffs are boring, right? You just pass the ball backwards. Mm-hmm. No one contests it. How about if it's more like an NA? Sorry, excuse me, NBA style tip off. Uh-huh. Referee doesn't do a drop ball. The referee throws the ball in the air. What are you, Vince McMahon? And two players <laughs> challenge for it in the center circle. The XFL tried this where the players had to run like 30 yards and then whoever got the ball first got the kickoff. Yeah. So many separated shoulders. <laughs> so many concussions and Can you imagine shoulders. the excitement of kickoff though? If it I mean, was like, like Harry Kane versus uh, Victor Lindelof. That'd be interesting. I would back Harry Kane yeah. in that one. I think so. Or I think Virgil so. van Dijk. I back Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> Virgil van Dijk Anyone? is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Virgil van Dijk versus Zlatan. Uh, I don't know who does that one. Raheem Sterling. I, yeah, I think I know who wins that one. I think I know who wins that <laughs> Who's one. Who's tall on Man City? They're going to be tall players. Uh, Stones, maybe Stones would be the way to go. Guardiola outlawed height, I think is how that worked. Um, I had a few other little ones that were like, if you wanted to get, like, basically I have like terrible ideas that could just be like amusing to me, but I like I the mean, idea. That's what, that's what my tip of ideas. Let, let's say like Tiki Taka got completely out of control and it was just like back when it was like Barcelona would just possess the ball for 90 minutes and it was kind of boring. Shot clock. We bring it in there. Once you cross midfield, you've got to get a shot off in like two minutes otherwise. <laughs> I love the idea of a shot clock. Otherwise, what? You just you have to turn the ball over? Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. Shot clock's a great idea. I like that one. How about this? From NHL, letting players fight. <laughs> just let it happen just for a little bit. Yeah. Would would soccer players be in for that one, do you think? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it like is... part of the game at this point. A lot of it is like uh, pretending you're going to fight, always, yeah. leaning your head in, mm-hmm. and you don't actually want to fight. Like yeah. Hockey's more like, we're doing this. That would be hilarious. Then we like, find out who really wants to fight and who doesn't. Yeah. Like, but you would, you would get that like that lean in headbutt, like both of them trying to trigger the other one, and they both yeah. look at the ref like neither one of us went for this. Are you not going to stop this? Do we actually have to fight? Uh, but my hair is so well done. <laughs> I have so much jewelry. I don't like this. No, 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 no. <laughs> a lot of dentists would make a lot of money. In w- would uh, you have to have? This is going to be a, a, a reference for no one. Uh, would you have to have Ken Watanabe from Godzilla uh, like announce every single one, and he would just say, "Let them fight" every single time? This is not a reference for me. There we go. From uh, Godzilla the movie. Yeah. Get it together, Daryl. Uh, and by that I mean, don't get it together. Don't yeah, watch either I'm one busy of watching movies. good movies. You're fine. Um, uh, instead, we could do. Uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't go with you on that. I don't know what you're talking it's about. It's fair. He says, "Let them fight." Uh, okay. Oh, about, about some monsters. Yeah. I I basically, see. he says that, and the second one, he just says Gojira over and over and over again in a like. Did, we, we know who it is now. Like, you don't have to keep <laughs> saying that word over and over again. Um, but what we could have is NFL style coaches throwing challenge flags mm. uh, for VAR. Yes. I don't hate that. Uh, and then I also oh video w- review. They should bring that in. Oh, that would be useful. That would be useful where they actually look at the screen. And then I do kind of love the baseball complex series of signals to convey what, what they want to happen in a given moment. Yeah. And I like the idea of like a coach telling uh, his like corner kick t- taker what to do by like a double ear pull and then like touching the tempo yeah, yeah. and like, wiggling the nose and be like, oh, that means short yeah, n- actually, near post. It's yeah. actually quite basic in it when mm. you see coaches like just they're just waving at players like go backwards, yeah. go forwards, or they maybe do like a, a number like three or whatever. Yeah. yeah, there's not there's not like a complex system. I think we used to do like le- left hand meant near post if you raise your left hand before you took it right hand meant far post both yeah. hands meant like driven towards the center that okay. was okay but i feel like that's not complex wow. enough for me they need alan turing to figure that uh, it's tough out. right i know <laughs> how could you ever learn this system <laughs> any more for any more all right then i'll let you know that today's show is sponsored by manscaped mm-hmm. manscaped is the number one in men's below the belt grooming manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels mm-hmm. and spoiler 
your family jewels are not actually jewels. They're not, mm-hmm. but you should treat them as though they are because yes. they're delicate and precious and very difficult to replace. And you don't want to scratch them. <laughs> you don't. Or, or snag them or cut them. And that's why Manscaped has good technology like the Lawnmower 2.0, proprietary skin safe technology. So no nicks, no cuts, no snags. All of that is good. Daryl, do you think if a groundskeeper were struggling, like say the equipment breaks down, could you get a bunch of Lawnmower 2.0s out there? And if you had everybody working together, could you mow an entire field? Of course, real would, quickly. Yeah. yeah. But you wouldn't even need to do it really quickly because the battery one charge lasts sixty minutes. It does. So I think if you had like a hundred groundskeepers working for sixty minutes, and each obviously with a if they're using Manscaped, they'd be called Groundskeeper Willie. <laughs> of course, of course, that's how it would work. Thank you for the clarification, though. I appreciate it. Um, would you be able to do it in an hour with a hundred people and a, and the little the little beard trimmer? I'm going to say yes. I think so too. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. <laughs> We're probably horribly uh, wrong. But I'm, I'm down for it. I mean, 6,000 strokes per minute with a Lomo 2.0. Mm-hmm. You can get through a lot of grass um, in that time. Let's find out. We need a bunch of people to show up at one stadium, uh-huh. break in, get the trimmer, and then see what happens. That's, that's another reason. Everybody go buy yourself a lawnmower 2.0 specifically so we can have this experiment. <laughs> and meet us at um, Audi Field. Yes. <laughs> and we'll try it out. <laughs> yep. Don't tell them we're coming, though. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> she will be real popular with the groundskeeper there. Almost certainly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, keep yourself nice and trim, mm-hmm. not just uh, Audi Field, which is probably overgrown at this point of the yeah. year, right? Um, so you can also get 20% off and free shipping if you use the code TSS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code TSS at manscaped.com. Mm-hmm. We appreciate Manscaped sponsoring today's episode. They've got the trimmer. They've got shave products. They've got cleansing products, moisturizers, deodorizers, all of which you can get uh, for 20% off with that code TSS at manscaped.com. Thank you very much once again to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode. Daryl, I think, is it my question to ask? Go for it. All right. Brendan Masser? Is that Brendan? It's Brendan. Brendan. All right, cool. Brendan. Uh, Brendan. Yeah. I, I think, did I copy it over wrong? There's no D in there. I think I typed it wrong. All right, cool. Well, Brendan. Mr. Masser. Mr. Masser. <laughs> why do teams uh, with years in the Premier League consistently stall out in the championship? Can you discuss the reasons teams usually fail to go straight back up? And also, why do many observers continue to expect recently relegated teams to go straight back up into the Premier League? I think the championship is both a higher standard mm-hmm. and a tougher season yep. than most people realize. Just because you're a Premier League team going down doesn't mean you're automatically the best team, Mm-mm. right? Add to that that you often lose your best players. If you spent a year in the Premier League and you get relegated, your best players will want to stay in the Premier League yep. and they will probably get picked off. Um, you've probably also had a bit of a crisis towards the end of the season where you fired your manager. Mm-hmm. So the stability that you had in place that brought you up has probably uh, probably disappeared. Right? Fulham's a good example, right? Where they were really happy with their manager, but then they went through a cycle of desperation um, trying, to, trying to stay mm-hmm. up. Um, it's also, I think, the reason people expect teams to be promoted is that there's so much focus on the Premier League that, like... If Sheffield United went down this year, we would think of Sheffield United as like a famous Premier League team and mm-hmm. you'd have big expectations of them. But you didn't really think that last year because they hadn't been in the Premier League uh, right. for a long time. So I think there's just um, um, an exaggeration of how strong a team is based on them spending a year or two in the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the brand gets stronger. Like mm-hmm. The brand really does get stronger because of all the exposure of the Premier League. Doesn't mean they're a better team than the teams in the Championship. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of people who started watching Premier League soccer in the last few years who like, don't know that Wigan was in the Premier League. Yeah. Like, you definitely have that. And then it would be like, mm-hmm. oh, this team hasn't been there in a while, came back. Versus people who've been maybe around for a while would be like, oh, Wigan finally made it back. But yep. it is a matter of, like, your understanding of the his- 
story, historic nature of the teams. Whatever. Yeah. I, I got there eventually. And there's also there's a, a false perception that the championship is all long ball, rough and tumble. And if you've got quality, you can go down there and win the league. Mm-hmm. I've ended up, every time I go home, I end up watching a lot more championship football, mostly because there are some Premier League games that my parents don't have because mm-hmm. they don't have BT Sports. So we end up watching championship games. It's always a really good standard. It basically looks like a Premier League game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think there's that much of a drop off between the Premier League and the championship anymore because there's so much money in English football that it all trickles down and there's teams desperately trying to get to the Premier League they're just really well funded well put together teams Marco Bielsa Marcelo Bielsa excuse mm-hmm. me is coaching a team in the championship right now I do love when you sort of Marco inadvertently Bielsa. Marco Viduca and Marco Bielsa I've had today yeah that's fine <laughs> you're just very Italian today uh, I do also appreciate when you sort of accidentally advocate trickle down economics which is yeah. always interesting um, but yeah I, but I take your point that I do think championship teams are stronger I also think the, the initial point you made of like you have teams that are in crisis when worth, they get relegated. Noting, it's forced to trickle down because Premier League teams are forced to share some yeah. some parachute money and all that. It's not we're definitely going to do it and then we don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're definitely forced to. Um, but I think if you are in that sort of state of crisis, you've sacked your manager. Like to your point about like then you sell off your best players. It's not just that you sell off your best players and like okay maybe you go out and find like some championship equivalents. It's that no, you've gotten rid of the people who made your attack or your defense run. Yeah. Now you then have to change the way your attack and defense operate, yep. which maybe doesn't work as well for other players. And then you've got a lot of flux that you have to deal with. And I think like a good example would be a club like Huddersfield, who I think when they came up, everybody thought like oh they're going right back down. And sort of the plan, similar to what I think Burnley's plan was, is we're not going to overspend. We're yeah. not really going to get too like over our heads. We're going to spend what we're comfortable with. And then they manage to stay up because they keep the discipline, because they keep their players, because yep. David Wagner does his job. But then look at the second season when people kind of have figured them out. You don't quite have that, like, we're in the Premier League finally. It's more of a, like, yeah, we've been in the Premier League. And I mean, you see... I just figured out after sort of half a season. Yeah. And they only stayed up because of the first half of the season. Right. Points total. But then, you, but then they end up sacking their manager and they end up trying to, like, find solutions for how they might be Didn't able David to stay David Wagner walk away? He essentially said, I can't, take this. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I but think it was... I don't, I don't think they ever would have fired him, but I think he realized that it, it wasn't going well. I feel like it was like he recognized that they wouldn't fire him, but maybe also recognized that they really, really wanted to and knew they couldn't, and yeah. it was sort of not the best situation. Yeah, um, and it's obviously worked out for him since. But all I mean to say is that like, even a team like Huddersfield, who had the stated objective of we're not going to go nuts, we're not going to overspend, we're not going to assume that we're going to be here forever... They still sacked their manager or had to deal with a new manager and still kind of had to deal with a lot of those same issues we're talking about. So even though Huddersfield much more responsible than, say, Fulham in the way they went about their business, they kind of find themselves in similar positions at the yeah. end, although Fulham then have to offload a bunch more people in mm-hmm. order to not get nailed for financial fair play. So there's your answer. Mm-hmm. There's your answer. Next question comes from Kai Weitinger. Mm-hmm. Kai Weitinger says, can you pinpoint the day slash game where the U.S. men's national team lost their identity of grinding and working their butts? Mm-hmm. You got me in a pickle here, Daryl, because earlier in the show, you noted that it, it is sort of my nature to reject the premise of the question. Mm-hmm. And here we go. Because mm-hmm. no, I can't because I don't quite agree with the idea that this was a thing that like we did and then we stopped doing. And that's yeah. it. I think it's there's a couple moments to me that are representative of when it was less so that sort of definitive everybody knows the game plan and then everybody works really, really, really hard to execute that game plan. And I would say it starts with probably those first two World Cup qualifiers under Klinsman, but even maybe the Copa America Centenario before that because the reason why I'm focused on the hardworking game plan is we talked a lot about how we didn't really know what the game plan was. And if you don't know what the game plan was, it's really hard to just like everybody hustle as a unit. I think that's it. I think there's not like a a sudden lack of effort or Mm -hmm. a lack of hard work or a lack of toughness but there is a lack of uh 
yeah, we we know what we're doing, mm-hmm. which you have to base that toughness on. Right? Yep. It needs you need a plan to work hard at the plan. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just working hard, running around in circles. Right. So, um, so uh, I but, would. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, and then the other the other two that I would point to would be Kuva. I do think that like the 2002 squad in its prime, you don't see them sort of take their foot off the gas a little bit, and I feel like that's complacency more so than... I mean, but I think that was also just a bad plan, right? Mm-hmm. You were sending out the same group of players that just True. had an emotionally exhausting game against Panama, mm-hmm. and you send them out on a heavy, heavy pitch and ask them to do things that don't work on that pitch, like having one defensive midfielder and like mm-hmm. trying to get uh, defenders to dribble out of the back through mud. Yep. I, I just think it was a bad game plan. Okay. And again, I bet you if we rewatch that, and I don't want to rewatch it because mm-hmm. it was so torturous and it really has brings a lot of bad memories back. Um, there's no players just standing around not caring, right? They're working really hard. They're just working really hard at something that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. There was never so a moment studying of us... the wrong textbook. You can work really mm-hmm. hard, but you'll fail the exam. Well said. <laughs> um, or it's the or the Shaq analogy from Phil Jackson that like he kept practicing the wrong free throw technique. So it's like, yeah, you're right. still not practicing the right technique. Yeah. You're not really going to get it the way you would if you mm-hmm. learned the right one. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good argument then. And then I think the other ones that people would point to is like, like Greg Berhalter uh, tenure, and then it depends on how negative you are on him. Because I yeah. would say that like you could look at the the first games in the January camp, but more so as like, oh, we've changed the style. We're yes. playing possession, and uh, Nick Lima's a uh, right back who's becoming a central midfielder, and yeah. like all of that is positional as opposed to everybody's running, running really, yeah, yeah. really hard. So it's a changing style where the hard work mm-hmm. isn't emphasized as like the thing that's going to get us through. It's yeah. more like our technique and our exploitation of space is what's going to get mm-hmm. us through. So it's a change in approach. Yeah. yeah, but then I think there are those games when I think because the change in approach is confusing or isn't working very well, you do then see players switch off. I don't think many players for the national team have ever been like, I don't care anymore. I'm not going to play these final 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. But I think you do see, again, it goes back to the like clarity of the message and the plan that if the players don't quite know what they're supposed to be doing, then of course they're not going to be charging all over the place and running all over because like maybe that's not what they're supposed to do, but maybe it is and I don't know. So I'll split the difference. And I think it always comes down to the message being conveyed rather than like an individual moment when it's just like, oh, we just don't care anymore. Yeah, but I also understand Kai's question where Mm -hmm. if you're just watching on TV, it can just seem like the players aren't trying if mm-hmm. they don't know where they're supposed to be running. Yeah. And I would, and I would final point for me on that one would be that I've also heard uh, like plenty of people, be they pundits or ex-pros or even ex-national team players, say, I don't feel like the United States works as hard as they used to. So he's not – like Kai is not incorrect oh, not in this approach. Him, yeah. No. It's just I have a harder time saying like this one game was the time when suddenly everybody switched off because yeah. to me that means that there is a – huge, huge problem. If your team has just quit trying, then it means that they've quit trying. And that means people got to be fired. People shouldn't play for the national team ever again. And I don't feel that way about most of the people in the roster. I can pinpoint a time when things started to look bad. It was the 2015 Gold Cup, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We had like narrow wins over a couple of teams we should be easily. Like yeah. uh, I think narrow win over Honduras, um, a draw with Panama, I think. Is that when we finished fourth? Yeah, we yeah. lost to Jamaica in the mm-hmm. semifinals. Then we had to have that CONCACAF Cup playoff against mm-hmm. Mexico, which we lost. Like things were, things We lost were not the third good. place game as well, I believe. Ooh, there. So things there you were go. not good in 2015. No. Um, so yeah, a bit better in 2016, yeah. but then down again in 2017. So go. 2015 is when things started to go bad, I think. Yeah. Um, all right, ready for the final question of the day? I think so. I'm just kind of sad that I was like, oh, so it's an even odd thing. And then I was like, no, no, 2018 was kind of rough. 2019 <laughs> was kind of rough. All right, so just three years running. Cool. 2018 sort of didn't happen, right? It was like a non-year for the U.S. national team. Let's not talk about it. Jacob Semkin mm. asks, do you think a beach soccer or futsal player could translate their skills mm. to traditional soccer? Uh, nope, and maybe. Okay. 
Can you expand? Yeah, uh, beach soccer. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Beach soccer is real hard. Like, we've both played in that sand soccer tournament. First of Actually, all, I haven't. Oh, you haven't? Mm. Coward. Uh, sand soccer. <laughs> I have kicked a ball on the beach though, and it's hard. Yeah, uh, sand hot. First of all, mm. uh, that makes it really difficult. But there's a lot of like, if you watch professional beach players play, or like in the tournament that's here, that's not Neptune. I forget what it is, but um, in Virginia Beach they have a big sand soccer tournament. You can watch people who who play professionally play, and they have all these little tricks for like they fl- like flicking the ball up and keeping it in the air, and it's like trying to keep the ball off the sand basically yeah. it's not quite relatable to playing sport. soccer on a grass with cleats yeah, yeah. Um, futsal I think there is more of a connection and, and a thing that maybe could be translatable because it's a lot of technical precise control it's working on your touch um, I think you maybe have to tone down some of the flashiness with futsal because you've got the smaller ball I think there's like little things you can do more readily and the ball doesn't bounce as much so you maybe have to adjust for that but I think yeah futsal has those things that obviously can translate a bit better I think the the way I would answer this is to say the answer is no because if those guys could have played professional traditional soccer there's that as well they already would have mm-hmm. because there's so much more money in traditional professional soccer um, the, the guys playing uh, beach football and futsal that's interesting like talented footballers who probably probably started out maybe having trials or being involved with a professional team but then this is what they ended up doing it's it's interesting because you took it in a different way than i did because i wasn't thinking of it as like players who are already professionals i would say i was thinking like could you play both and succeed at both Mm -hmm. but you're right that yeah no i think if you were going to be a professional soccer player you'd be a professional soccer player yes exactly and then this this was tried this was mm-hmm. tried in 2005, Falcao. Not the, that one. The most famous foot. Yeah, not the. Uh, not not the, Redamel. Not the Colombian, is Brazilian. Mm-hmm. Widely regarded as the most famous and the best futsal player of all time, uh, Brazilian. Uh, he got a contract with Sao Paulo in Brazil, six month contract in 2005, and it basically didn't work out. Nope. Um, the coach wasn't a fan. Liao, the co- I read up on this. Um, the coach wasn't a fan because he thought it was a bit of a publicity stunt mm-hmm. by the team. But he did play him. He like made some substitute appearances, I think started one game. And essentially, even though he looked fine on the ball, um, he didn't have the fitness. Not that he was like overweight or anything like that, but he didn't have the fitness to run for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Because think of futsal. Not that it's easy, but it's a lot of short burst running, rolling subs on and off. You don't have to like run long distances for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. You don't have a lot of... Um, there are tactics in futsal, but it's not quite the same of having to work back 50 yards to cover an attacking fullback, mm-hmm. right? It's a whole, it is a whole different game. And just because you've got like great skills and great touch, if you are no good at the tactical stuff compared to other people and not physically up to it compared to other people, then you're not going to make it as a professional footballer. And you definitely wouldn't be with the tactical side of it because you've been playing futsal this whole yeah. time. So like, even just patterns of play and, and recognition of those patterns would be harder because there are you know, like a significant number more players on the field and yeah. around you at any given moment, and it's a bigger space to have to operate in. With futsal, with indoor even, like you, you have a tighter space. You can shoot from closer range. You can shoot or like farther out but still be close. Yep. You like have... Like, more space, yet simultaneously less space, but I feel like it's easier to go on a dribble in indoor because even if you lose it, you can kind of quickly cover or you have people behind yeah. you, and if you're tired, you can sub off and get somebody else on. And there's only four players to beat, and you beat right. the whole team. Thank right. you for knowing how many people <laughs> are on a futsal court. Um, so here's also, so I don't trust anything I hear from the coach Lau mm-hmm. of Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> was that him calling? I'm getting a phone call from Compton, California. Um, I'm sure that's uh, perfectly legit. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't trust anything I hear from coach Liao mm-hmm. because he wasn't a fan of this 
experiment type mm-hmm. thing. He thought he was interfering with what he was trying to do with Sao Paulo. But his teammate, uh, Falcao's teammate, Cicinho. Do you remember Cicinho went on to play for Real Madrid, Roma. He was the Brazil right back for oh, a yeah. long time in the early 2000s. So he was at Sao Paulo at uh, the same time. Okay. Um, and he said, he had a quote at the time. This is from World Soccer Magazine. We're trying to help Falcao in his transition. He is a very good player and is difficult to be marked. But what is difficult for him is the physical part. Mm-hmm. He still needs to learn some things. Hmm. So that, so that's, I think that encapsulates the changeover that you get going from futsal uh, to 11-a-side soccer. I'm sure yeah. you look fine on the ball. I'm sure if Cicinho is trying to get the ball off of you, you can hold off a high-quality player like him. But if you can't run for the whole 90 minutes, then you're, you can't be a professional soccer player. And you, there's no level of... Unless uh, you're There's no level, level of... Um, soul rolling mm-hmm. with the ball yeah. that will compensate for you not being able to run up and down for 90 minutes yeah exactly and if anything those types of things will get your manager angry at you yep. more so than anything else yeah but that's a, that's a great question it is because I enjoyed having, I enjoyed yep. delving into that I'll put yep. a link to that World Soccer story um, in the show notes so Please people do. can read it yeah um, that's all the questions it is all the we questions we answered all the questions well done us we've made um, it under an hour which means I haven't gotten weird yet alright so let's, let's get out before that happens all so right. if you've got a question for us the URL is totalsoccershow.com slash questions that link will be in the show notes if you want to support the show support what we're doing it's totalsoccershow.com slash join if you support us at $10 a month or more we guarantee to answer one question per month on the show and if you've noticed we're doing a lot more listener question shows lately because they're fun and there's a lot of listener questions to get and to. there's a lot of listener questions to get to. Um, so all it means to say is Taylor Rockwell, before you get weird, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. There's three minutes before you're allowed to get weird. That's fine. I, this shouldn't take that long. But we should clarify that uh, I think this will be it for you and me in studio together this week. Uh, Daryl's oh, yeah. going to be in Boston. Then you're uh, going to Michigan. So yes. this will be it for you and me. But we'll maybe have a pho- maybe one or two episodes over the phone. Yeah. Uh, and then Daryl's well, All of next week will be on the phone. Also yeah. that too. And then Daryl's going to be talking to uh, Henry Bushnell this yep. week. I'm going to be talking to Ryan US later on. Federation. Yeah, so we've got lots of, of different uh, content to come, but uh, this is it for you and me in studio, so I'll just say... You're making me sad. I'm sad and goodbye. Oh, I'm Even sad Even though we're going to be in too. studio together for the next like five hours. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, thank you for listening, and one of us at least will talk to you again soon. Hooray!